Welcome back. Our guest this week is Detroit Representative Tanisha Yancey, chair of the Detroit Legislative Caucus. Our lead story, the debate over COVID nursing home deaths continues. On the OTR panel, Dave Boucher, Jim Kirsner, and Jordan Hermani. Sit in with us as we get the inside out. Off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Welcome back to Off the Record. Nice to have you on board. I hope your weekend is going well. Hope everybody is safe. And we have a great panel with us, uh, David and Jim and Jordan. Jordan, let's start with you. We had a hearing. The House Oversight Committee, which has been very, very busy, uh, was taking testimony on the issue of did Governor Whitmer's administration undercount COVID cases in nursing homes? What did we make of that? Well, I mean, it was basically... Director Elizabeth Hertel of the DHHS was adamant that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. She came <laughs> out against the two deadline Detroit and uh, the bridge article, which basically asserted that, you know, we could be, the state could be undercounting COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes by a rather large amount. And she basically came out and said that she felt that that stories, those stories were inaccurate and that long-term care, uh, long-term care facilities such as adult foster care, nursing homes for the, I'm sorry, not nursing homes, but homes for the age, um, they could not be reporting or under-reporting their COVID-19 deaths. And so what Bridge and Deadline Detroit kind of asserted she believed was somewhat inaccurate and she did get significant pushback from the panel on that, uh, especially the oversight chair, Steve Johnson. So. Yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, uh, David, this is an interesting story because the, the Republicans continue to beat this drum that was an undercount. She basically said yesterday, I don't know. I can't confirm that. Well, I don't know. Well, and let's, let's be specific here. She made a distinction between nursing homes and long-term care facilities broadly speaking. Yes. Now, this hearing was supposed to be about nursing homes, and she says that she trusts that the nursing homes are giving the state accurate data. When we see nursing home deaths, that's being reported by the actual facilities themselves. She says those facilities have no reason to lie. Now, you can question whether or not you're trusting that these facilities are reporting the accurate number of COVID-19 deaths, but she did say that some of the smaller facilities, like Jordan said, aren't required to report, and she just doesn't know whether or not they're actually reporting all of these deaths. As you noted, Tim, this is part of this broader concept that potentially the Republicans are pushing, that the governor's policies led to lots of people in long-term care facilities dying. Now, no one has presented any evidence to show like a direct correlation between a policy and somebody dying, but that hasn't stopped Republicans from beating that drum for a while. Yeah, evident when you're running a commercial, evidence is not part of the equation, right? Uh, Jim, your take, uh, your take on what uh, we learned yesterday or didn't learn. Yeah, I think we're in that boat. We don't know what we don't know. And my concern is this is going to end up being another rolling disclosure like we've seen with the governor and her trip to Florida. And it's going to be inch by inch by inch 
We're going to continue to learn more. You guys are closer to the process up there than I am here in Detroit. Is the Auditor General going to be able to get us some answers and, and, and drill down in this? I doubt it because what access do they have to the records? Only the Health Department has that, right? Well, let's also not lose sight of the fact that the former director of the health department already told this committee months ago that they don't have any of the data. In the beginning, it was sort of every man and woman for themselves. And so if you wanted to really go back to day one of the pandemic, uh, the data simply is not there. Is that accurate, Jordan? I mean, it's, it's difficult, too, because you have instances of, obviously, like you said, we don't know you know, going back, individuals who may have had COVID that were not reported as having COVID because maybe they had caught it in February before it had really started. Um, you have individuals who may have died of another, I don't know, like maybe like uh, cancer or something like that, but maybe they also had COVID. So how do you square whether or not they count as a COVID-19 death? It's really murky and, you know, it, it will really be difficult to go back in time, so to speak, and try and right this wrong, for lack of a better word. All right, let's turn the page to story number two, Jim. Uh, we had uh, access to the governor in person uh, the other day. Uh, there's a treat. And uh, she was talking about COVID. Uh, what did we learn from her? She has this uh, new uh, back to normal plan. We're halfway through it, June 1st. Uh, a lot of things changed, but not until July 1st. Restaurants and bars are still limited to 50% capacity. Non-vaccinated people still have to wear masks indoors. But I'm here in Macomb County in Metro Detroit. We have this group of bars and restaurants who have sued the state, sued the governor because of their losses with the total shutdowns of their establishments earlier this year. And they're saying, why wait another month? That's arbitrary. And that's what I was trying to ask the governor about on what is she basing that? All she has said is, well, we just wanna make sure that COVID doesn't make a comeback, but there's no evidence that it's going to. The numbers continue to trend downward and remain low. And the bars and restaurant owners are saying, let us open up now. If we have the surge, then we could have more lockdowns or go back to 50%. So it, it does seem like this additional 30 days is just arbitrary. Well, she was also asked about, are we going to have another shutdown? And she did sort of give a definitive answer there by basically saying, based on what the CDC is saying, that's probably not going to happen. But then she always does this, appropriately so, throws in the caveat, who knows, all right? The variants could, one could show up in Michigan that the vaccines don't work on. But David, here's a question. How many of your journalistic friends were in the bars until two o'clock this week in the morning? <laughs> Don't well, answer that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no comment on that. No. I mean, <laughs> You're a smart man. To your point, there's, there's no more curfews, right? So the curfews are gone. So that's something that, in theory, all of those journalistic friends that you're referencing could be could be at the bar well after 2 a.m. But also, it's worth noting, too, that the change that took effect on June means that outside at restaurants, there's no more social distancing requirements. So before, tables had to be six feet apart, and you had to have six people only at a table, which is that requirement indoors that the governor kind of ran a follow of when she was at the Landshark the other day. Now, all those tables that are outside can be kind of pushed together, and you don't need those six people uh, only at a table. And if so, if you have a big restaurant with an outdoor space, that is a substantial difference for you. Yeah. The bigger difference is, as, as you noted, are for other places. So like gyms, salons, indoor pools that were at far lower than 50% capacity, they've all gone up now indoors to 50%. And as Jim noted on July 1st, essentially all of those rules are going away. It's important to note, too, that still less than half of the Michigan adult population, or at least 12 and up, those who are eligible for vaccines, are fully vaccinated. 
So we're still a long way away from that 70% fully vaccinated goal that the governor wanted, which could be why she wants to give people another month, even if they're already hesitant and they've decided not to get vaccinated, to go out and get their vaccines. Jordan, I know you and none of your colleagues at Gong were, were up until 2 o'clock at a local bar, okay? But having said that, how, how are we feeling about COVID? You know, with all of this relaxation going on, I think there are some people who are in their minds thinking, this is over, but it's not. I mean, just personally speaking, so I went to a Lansing Lugnuts game yesterday, and you honestly would not be able to tell that, you know, we are still in a pandemic. I mean, no social distancing, very few masks, um, very few individuals who, you know, seem to be respecting, for lack of a better word, what we previously used as COVID-19 protocol. I mean, it, it does feel like the pandemic is over for some people, but it is important to note, I mean, Jim... I believe brought up that, you know, why wait another month? It seems a little arbitrary. I, I will give credit to the fact that, you know, you never get praise when you do something right to avoid a bad situation because, you know, the bad situation doesn't happen. So to the idea that, you know, we, we need to wait another month, we need to wait until July to fully relax COVID-19 protocols. Um, I, I do feel that there is some credence to that. There is some need for that because, again, obviously, if there is a spike shutting down after the fact, it could be too late for some individuals. So, I mean, I do, I, I, I think, yes, obviously, there is the thought that, you know, the pandemic is over. It's not for some individuals. And it, it, it you know, we, we really do need to focus on that vaccination rate, especially in certain parts of the state where uptake is, is low. Yeah, that's a good point, Jim. But the numbers are definitely looking good. OK, I can remember we were reporting 7000 cases, not a week, not a month, but a day. And now we're around 500. So that's a huge improvement. It is. Uh, and I think that's, again, uh, why you have these business owners saying you're forcing me to stay at 50 percent of the business capacity that I could otherwise have. And they were also forced to go through this last holiday, Memorial Day weekend. And again, they're just saying it's arbitrary. I, I want to address two things you said about being out until 2 a.m. with the bars now open until 2 a.m. Whoa, you're going to answer uh, yes? Uh, not necessarily, uh, but I think you're going to find a lot of the bar and restaurant owners saying, we don't have the staff to stay open Whoa. until 2 a.m. We're way down. And we're closing one or two days a week so we can give our the employees that we do have two days off a week. And the other thing is, I did ask some friends, I'm asking for a friend, did you stay out until 2 a.m.? No, because of COVID, I'm used to going to bed at 10, 11 o'clock at night. There's no way I'm going to be out at 2 in the morning. Point well taken, point well taken. Uh, quickly, David, can you bring us up to speed? What's your intel on where we are on the budget? They, were, they wanted to get this thing done by the time lawmakers left on June the 24th. Looking kind of shaky there, isn't it? Uh, I would say if you'd asked me that three weeks ago, I would say it was looking terrible. But at least there is the supposed framework for a compromise for Whoa, a deal. Oh, yeah. We've gotten to the broad framework. We've gotten to the point where they've, they're establishing conference committees. So at least we're getting going through the motions to get to the point of finding compromise. Now, have we heard about, have I heard about fantastic breakthroughs and compromises on any sort of specific budget items? No, I haven't. Uh, pushing up against the deadline, but that's, you know, that's in true form for the legislature, right? Like that's, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something at the last minute or, or not. We'll see. 
Well, they've got to have targets first, and those have been elusive. And it, what sort of put me onto this story is Dave Masseron, who's been very accessible to the media. I think he's doing a great job in that. And all of a sudden, he went on radio silence. Okay, I couldn't get through to this guy. I always get nervous when I can't get to the people that I want to talk to. So I did a little digging, and uh, he's. He, I, 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 my guess is, because he hasn't confirmed this, my guess is he is concerned, Jordan, that they haven't made more progress uh, on this thing. What is your intel on what you're picking up i mean i've been with gongware for almost two years now and in my short time here uh we've never had a normal budget cycle so kind of <laughs> what what david said this seems like par for the course um i mean i i would be shocked i suppose if this wraps up very soon so i i would not be expecting much but uh the radio silence could be something that uh we could see as a positive means that they're hard at work yeah uh i will stay uh, tuned hold my breath until then yeah <laughs> the, the good news is the government is not going to shut down if they miss the june 24th deadline the real deadline is really october 1st so we've got a ways to go but you've got school districts and you've got jimmy you've got local governments which are chopping on the bit to get their hands on all that federal money which so far is sitting in state coffers and not their coffers which must be creating some angst Oh, there's no question about it. Everybody wants to get this done, but I think everybody is also a realist that the state of Michigan is polarized politically because of COVID, because of all the other issues. What we saw with the presidential race is playing out here in Michigan. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You have the Republicans who have said we wanted a voice in the COVID lockdowns, the COVID restrictions over the course of the last 14, 15 months. One of your guests, when I was on a few weeks ago, said that'll happen when pigs fly, right? So, uh, you know, they had to give in on that. And then the governor said, well, if we get a budget deal, I'll give you somewhat of a voice. So how much horse trading is going on? We really don't know at this point. Yeah, well, it's it's going to play out, and they'll get it done one way or the other. We just don't know what date it is. So now let's call in our guest today, who is the chairperson of the Detroit Legislative Caucus, Representative Yancey. Uh, Representative, good morning. How's everything down? Good morning. At, how's everything down in Motown or in Harper Woods? I'm sorry. It's a little bit of both. I, I actually represent Harper Woods and Detroit, but it's going great and the weather is getting great. So we are excited to looking forward to June 24th or 25th, whenever we get out of there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing the program. Here's the first softball question for you. What scares you about the possibility that your police chief in Detroit will be governor? Uh, the biggest thing that scares me is that we... Uh, We'll make sure that we replace our police, our current, well, he's interim police chief. Uh, I hope that he does just a as good of a job as our old chief. Um, so that's the biggest thing that scares me right now is just knowing that we have someone who's just as competent to replace Chief Craig on DPDs. Let me try. Let me try the question again. If Mr. Mr. Chief is elected governor, what what scares you, if anything? Um, if anything, I would say I, I know that Mr. Chief is a Republican, so hopefully he'll have his own set of views as opposed to uh, just joining in on the rhetoric that we see in Lansing on a day to day basis now. So it sounds to me like you'd be comfortable if he was governor. I like the chief. I like the chief as the chief of police. I, I hate to see him go as chief of police. Um, However, we will see how this race goes. Jim, 
Let me throw it over to you. I think uh, we're waiting to hear what the chief has to say. It's been uh, four days now since he's no longer the chief. He's the the past chief. We He, he told me I did a story with him last Friday. He said he's going to take some time to decompress. I asked him if the timing of his retirement as chief is tied to the political calendar, and he kind of sidestepped that. I think we all know he's going to be in the race. Um, I also talked with Candace Miller, who is right now the Macomb County Public Works Commissioner. Uh, she's been Secretary of State. She was in Congress. She held uh, other elected uh, positions here in Macomb County prior to that. She has said she does not want to run for governor, but she did not rule out being lieutenant governor on a ticket with Chief Craig or whoever might win the primary next year. Uh, I did a story on that. I called it the Republican dream ticket. But we still need to hear from Chief Craig about um, is he a Trumplican? How much of a Republican is he, as the representative just said? Jim, I hate to uh, th- well, I hate to Go throw ahead. water on your story, but Candace Miller is not going to run for lieutenant governor. All right, Jordan, I'll give you a rebuttal Go later. Okay. Uh, Jordan, question for our for our guest. Uh, Jordan, a question. So focusing on something that I did mention. Yes, of course. Uh, focusing on something that I did mention earlier regarding vaccine uptake, uh, Representative Yancey, there's Detroit's vaccine uptake has still been trending rather low. So what do you see the city or the state as needing to do to increase that? I think that the city and the state needs to make sure that people are comfortable. People, in, uh, especially in Detroit, are comfortable with uh, what the information is out there and the information that's being uh distributed in terms of what the vaccinations do, which vaccinations are the better vaccinations, if any. Um, Are there any illnesses being caused by any vaccinations? I know that there are a few people who maybe had a slight fever or or slight aches. I know I had slight aches and I was really tired, but that was the most that I experienced, while others may have experienced a little bit more um, symptoms. And so making sure that people are just comfortable with knowing what the side effects may be, if any, or long-term term effects may be, if any. David? Representative, you're one of a few Democrats who is a co-sponsor on a bill that would remove the local authority for cities to regulate short-term rentals through zoning ordinances. And I'm wondering why you think that it's important for the state to have that authority as opposed to the city of Detroit, for example. I'm not saying that the city of Detroit needs to have the authority. I don't want the city of Detroit to be or or any municipalities to be able to take away the property rights of the owners. And so for me, it was more so uh, for the property to protect property rights um, and protect the owner's ability to do what they want with their property than it was to uh, assign the responsibility to the state. Uh, Representative, you've got a news conference next week where you're going to talk about some uh, reforms in the police area. Can you give us a hint as to where you're headed on that? Absolutely, Tim. Um, So the the bill package that we are rolling out next week on June 8th, um, as a matter of fact, it is we're looking just to hold or add some accountability. We are not uh, there's no in no way, shape or form. Am I saying that all police officers are bad? We know that there are just a few bad apples and but a few bad apples across the state of Michigan in different law enforcement agencies uh, could equate to several 
you know, several results of death or harm to our constituents. And so my ideas are to look to hold more accountability and reform to accept practices or operating procedures in the law enforcement agencies across the state. Uh, we're trying to address the police brutality and racial disparities that are happening um, across the state and in other states as well, including uh, policing by banning the chokeholds and banning no-knock warrants. Um, we all are aware of those those incidents that happen across the country, the George Floyds of the world and the Breonna Taylors of the world. Um, as a matter of fact, Breonna Taylor's mother will be present at the press conference on Tuesday. But we are not as educated about those who are here or were here, unfortunately, no longer with us in the state of Michigan, who whose lives were taken as a result of excessive police force. And so we will be highlighting those individuals as well. Um, and and back to the, the actual overall package is we're just looking for account more accountability and more transparency across the state. Are you going to weed into that controversial issue of police immunity? Actually, yes. So qualified immunity is a part of the um, a part of the package. Qualified immunity is very controversial. Uh, I, I have spoken to quite a few people across uh, across the state or law enforcement agents across the state who feels that if we implemented qualified immunity, we would lose police officers. Um, however, we have a Reuters poll that says that 82 percent of our our U.S. adults support banning chokeholds, 75 percent uh, support allowing victims of police misconduct to sue police departments for damages. And so removing that veil or or at least partially removing the veil only in cases of, of you know, extreme bad actors, should we be removing qualified immunity, not for everyday day to day policing. Um, we understand that you have to be able to protect yourself as a police officer. We want we, 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 we support our police officers. But in those cases of extreme force, there, there should be no qualified immunity in those situations. All right. We have five minutes left. We're going to do an overtime segment. Jim, let me throw it to you for a question for our guests, please. Yeah. Does your uh, bill package include defunding the police and moving that money elsewhere? No, it does not. There's no aspect of defunding the police in this bill package at all. There was a package, I believe, that the Republicans uh, introduced a week or so ago, during police week, as a matter of fact, that actually appropriates funds and for body cameras and things that we are asking to be act actually used in our package. So while we have the... Um, the support of Republicans to fund these aspects across the state, we are now implementing law or implementing statutes that will say, or introducing at least, hopefully they'll get implemented. But we're asking that they actually have some accountability. Not only, it's not enough to just say, okay, you have the money to purchase body cameras if we don't say you have to use them. Jordan. In the same vein of legislation though, completely different legislation. Uh, regarding DWI or DUI expungements, um, the Senate has not moved on two House bills that were sent back to them recently. Um, what are the status of those bills? And the last time that this legislation came up, it was pocket vetoed by the governor. Do you believe that the governor is on board this time or that that could change should it come back before her? I believe that the governor is on board this time. There were some changes made to the uh, legislation from the last uh, from last term to this term that would hopefully make uh, it a, a better um, a better bill for the governor to sign, so that uh, all stakeholders who were involved are a little more comfortable. I know that 
as you know, I've, I've shared my story plenty of times that my father was killed by a drunk driver. So by no means am I uh, holding this offense as a light offense, but these are OWIs that will only, OWIs that did not cause any accident or injury or death. Um, none of those would be considered expungible. And so this is also, I believe, um, what the governor was seeking also was a, an extended period of time instead of three years uh, to have five years waiting period for this type of misdemeanor where other mis misdemeanors are three years. These misdemeanor offenses will not be eligible for expungement for five years, which is something that um, she wanted to see in the bill. She also wanted to see the sunset removed on the blood alcohol level and that was done as well not as I don't believe it's a it, it was high barred I believe to one of the bills um in terms of where it is in the senate I cannot answer that obviously I'm not in the senate but I am hoping that it moves out of the senate fairly soon I have people who are calling my office who have not been able to move on with their lives after 30 years and and haven't even taken a drink in the 30 years that they were convicted of OWI David a quick one if you got one yeah, Representative, you mentioned the bill package from Republicans in the House. House Speaker Jason Wentworth was a military police officer for five years. Do you anticipate that he'll be a partner on your package or that he will kind of create hurdles to getting some of the reforms passed? So I actually met, I've been meeting with a lot of the uh, the holdup of me introducing this bill package was me making sure that I met with those key stakeholders, making sure that I met with the Speaker of the House. And there are some aspects of this bill package that he's absolutely interested in um, and some that are probably going to be dead on arrival. Um, but I'm hoping that it will at least force a conversation. Uh, he's not looking to make it political and neither am I because I don't think that Black lives are political at all. I don't think that people who are losing their children or losing their loved ones are is not a political matter at all. It's a very serious matter. So at least it will at least bring us all to the table to discuss some reforms that we all can be satisfied with and not just um, show and tell. You know, we want to, to see some real changes made so that people are held accountable for their the, for those bad actions that they commit, especially when it's a, a disparity, a racial disparity that I don't see that. I don't think that other people understand or other races understand when you feel as, as a race as if your children are being attacked. And so it'll at least at least make us have a conversation about what reforms we can live with this term. Thank you, Representative. Stay tuned. We're going to do an overtime segment, uh, and we thank you for uh, tuning in. But go to WKAR.org for that OT with our representative. And Jordan, welcome to the Off the Record family. Great to have you on board. Nice to see you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more Off the Record, visit wkar.org. Michigan public television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.